Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Exert Breakthrough Lab podcast. I'm your host, Scott Steele, and today's episode, we're going to be talking all about coaching and exert. Uh, as usual, I'm joined by Armando Mastracci. Hey, everyone. And Dr. Stephen Chung. Hey, everybody. I know uh, you guys have just continued uh, making fun of me for living out in the middle of nowhere in Owen Sound, but I'm proud to announce I got my first outdoor ride of uh, the year in this uh, actually yesterday. So it took until April, but I, I did eventually get outside. Were you riding your fat bike in, in three, you know, three feet of snow or what? How did uh, it go? There's still, there's still snow banks around on the sides of the road. So uh, <laughs> we still haven't cleared all the snow uh, up here, but no, it, it was beautiful. We had uh, like nice temperatures, some strong winds. Uh, it was it was a little a little uh, chilly at points, but I I mentioned in my Strava like I was smiling ear to ear the whole time. I'm just I'm happy to be back outside because uh, for me and 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 for my cycling, I I ultimately do it because I enjoy it. So I like getting more fit, but it's just so good to be back outside again. Yeah, we've had a brutal brutal winter. It's been super cold, lots of snow. Um, yeah, so, you know, we've been spending most of my time indoors doing the exert sessions. Yeah. Lots of sessions this winter. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's been phenomenal. I have to say, you know, we finally started to get outdoor rides in probably the last week or so. We had a really great ride this morning, in fact, and guys are just, they're just flying this year, just hitting the springtime, just super great number, super fit, great form. Um, I think, you know, the, 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 the amount of activity we've had this year on this, on the exert session side, where there's lots of consistency every week, one, two, three sessions that are going on all, you know, training as a group, getting, motivating each other to kind of join each other during the sessions. It's been really, uh, so far the outcome has been really great. So I'm at the fittest I've, I was all last year. I'm fitter now than I was all as compared to all the last year. So, and, and it's only April pretty, and it's pretty close to the fittest I've ever been. And I know I have room to go. I mean, like there's no, none of us feel kind of overtrained or kind of like under the weather or anything like that. It's all been pretty positive and, and looking forward to getting those numbers even further up during the summer. And yeah, lots of, lots of goals to achieve new levels this, this season for me. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, how about your Paris to Ancaster prep, Stephen? How is that coming along? I think it's coming along. It's all going to be a big unknown this year because besides not having done it for a few years with the pandemic, it's also now the 100K course. So, you know, there's no point of comparison with with uh, kind of any previous times when it was the 70K course. And even the 70K course has changed its start anyway. So none of the courses will be similar. So, you know, I don't know if it's a psychological thing, but it's also allowed me to kind of not stress about, in a sense, performance because it's a, there's no point of reference. It's not like I'm trying to beat my best time or kind of my placing from a few years ago, 2018, I think was the last time I did it. And so I'm just going to go out and enjoy it and, uh, and kind of enjoy the whole experience. So Plus, you never know with the weather in Paris, Ancaster, right? I've done it so many years. Uh, I did the very second one in 1995 during my PhD in Toronto. And I've done it in everything from sleet and hail 
to uh, freezing cold winds to scorching desert kind of summer weather. So, you know, there's so many variables, but I'm looking forward to it. And uh, and yeah, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, 100K is, is going to be tough. I find what I found when I did it the last few years, not last year, but previously, just staying fueled and hydrated is really tough because you're just all the elements are being thrown at you one after the other. So it's uh, maybe something, you know, even Steve, you know, um, you know, that we're, we're all familiar with, uh, you know, is just, uh, um, you know, making sure you're, you're, you're fueled properly for these kinds of events, because, you know, if you, if you're not, especially at hundred K now, it's going to be really tough to keep, keep, uh, keep your, your, your stores up and you're not getting that kind of cramping feeling that we all get at various points, yep. especially, you know, uh, there's this point in the race. that's kind of funny because you go up this little pitch before the final climb. And I think every, not, you know, at least five people, six people that I've talked to have done this race. They've all cramped at the, exactly the same spot. So there's a little <laughs> spot and the, you know, just before you get to the final climb, um, so I'm hoping that, uh, you know, we can avoid those cramps, uh, this year for that race. Yeah. I mean, well, it's that's also a, really that's... challenging because you're wearing, typically it's cold. So you're wearing extra gloves and everything you have yep. multiple layers on. So it's also just makes it harder to get things out of your pocket. So, uh, mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to have my top two kind of bag with me and my, uh, and probably a bar bag just so make it easier without having to reach uh, kind of into my jersey pockets just to grab stuff. Yeah, for sure. Perhaps the uh, strategy to going faster in this year's 100K is to slow it down and make sure you're uh, getting your nutrition in. You know, pacing is going to be key, right? Finding the right group that's going to be pacing at your kind of pace that you can handle. And, um, you know, uh, that's... uh, well, you know, if you can manage to find the right group, but that's going to keep it at your, your pace without having to go too hard or go too easy, then I think you're going to end up with a good result. Yeah. Well, good luck to both of you. Um, and throughout the rest of your preparations for P day, uh, what I'd like to do next is, uh, continue moving along. And, uh, I'd like to actually introduce our special guest for today's podcast, um, since today we're going to be talking about coaching, uh, we decided to uh, ask if Steve Neal would be able to join us. Now, uh, Steve has been a coach uh, over 30 years uh, at both the elite level and uh, also at the amateur level. He does a lot of mountain bike work uh, or work with mountain bikers, but I believe he also does some roads, uh, road cycling coaching as well. Uh, I know Steve's been uh, a very avid exert user and Actually, if any of you listening to this are relatively new to exert, I want you to know that a coach with 30 years of experience did find exert perhaps a a little difficult or a little, a little different uh, than what they had been used to in the past. But um, as we'll see throughout today's discussion, he's certainly uh, spent a lot of time or, or spent five plus years using the system now. And this is what he uses with his athletes. So uh, what we're going to do today is, is talk to him a little bit and, and see how he's using the system. And, um, and hopefully this prompts uh, other coaches, if, you, if you're experimenting with uh, Exert a little bit, to uh, perhaps start using it with your athletes. So uh, welcome, with that Steve. in mind, I'd, I'd like to introduce uh, Steve Neal. Hello, everybody. How's it Excellent. going? It was hard not to start talking during that 
Paris Dancaster talk. That was a very good boy. Yeah, I know. I, 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 your name almost slipped out there for a second. I, well, I better not mention Steve before I, we introduce him. So I, I had to bite my tongue. There's two Stevens on here. It's all good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was lucky there. Yeah. <clears throat> Steve, maybe you can uh, flesh it out a bit about your kind of coaching background and some of the athletes that you have um, kind of been working with in terms of the type of whether it's age groups, kind of different races, kind of different focus, what has been some of your background with that? Yeah, so I'd say like 30, like though I keep getting older. So 30, 33 years ago, we'll just use a range. <clears throat> I actually started coaching. Um, well, the podcast, the podcast people can't see it, but the person behind me in this picture was the first person I coached when he was 14. So that's a picture of him at 44 years old and I'm coaching him again. Uh, so I, I actually started working with two elite cyclists, one uh, male and one female. And the female is on the national team and the male was like just on the cusp. So worked with them for a few years and actually uh, got into a bit of trouble with the male, overtrained him really badly in uh, by June. And I was super new, just made some mistakes and uh, found a mentor that basically helped me turn that athlete around in under three weeks from being in bed to uh, a sixth place in national championships. So I ended up working with that mentor for probably going on 20 years and learned an awful lot from that person, I must say. Um, then it, I, I'd say the next big 10 years of my coaching was sort of working with, uh, if we look at mountain biking, there's elite expert sport and beginner. So I was working with a lot of uh, expert people that had seemed to have motivation and drive and really good technical ability. Um, and, you know, one of those people you probably know from Paris Dancaster is Mike Garrigan. So there was, there was several athletes mm -hmm. in the mixture here. And during this seven or eight year period, um, you know, Mike, he, you know, he went from being this good uh, expert level rider to the following year, you know, last place in elite to the very next year, he won elite by two and a half minutes in mountain biking. So um, I took this sort of second tier group of athletes from no one knowing who their names were to all of a sudden being almost all of the Ontario team in mountain biking. And uh, that happened over a three or four year period. And then, yeah, just, uh, probably, you know, I never really coached more than 15 people at once. Um, it was kind of the ceiling I had where I thought I could do a good job and sort of stuck with that for quite a long time, 10, 13, 15 years. Um, then started to coach a few masters and they were doing OCUP level mountain bike racing as well. And so that first 20 years is pretty much you know, 90 minute to two hour and 15 minute mountain bike racing masters and elites, some beginners, people who have like, Hey, I just started riding four years ago, but I want to finish the BC bike race kind of person. Um, that was the group of athletes. Then there was a few cyclocross people. Um, like, you know, I, I helped Mike during his national championship win and, and also, um, a few others, one from Alberta, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Michael Dick, but she won national cyclocross championships as well. So cyclocross became sort of something I, you know, because the mountain bikers just do it after, after a summer, 
And um, so I had some elite level um, cyclocross racers as well as a, a few pretty strong masters cyclocross racers. So t tell us, you know, I recall, you know, years ago when we first met, you know, you met really on just as, you know, exert was being started. And, you know, we saw a lot of commonality, I think at that time, which is, I think, kind of why our relationship is kind of still there today. And I think, you know, there were some, you know, some early interest in your part, but I think it's been, you know, from my perspective, it's been really great to see how you've been using our system to complement and, and use it as, as part of your coaching practice. So um, can you maybe give a little bit of a perspective how you, you've gone from that kind of coaching into kind of where you saw exert fitting into that coaching practice? Yeah, I, I think I had a few athletes with about eight years of data. So when I started using it, I was able to sort of backload a lot of data and see how the software related to their performance at, at events. And it was pretty amazing to see how, you know, how threshold would rise over the training blocks and, and over years, to be honest, and, and the changing of HIE over long periods of time that sort of agreed with what I thought as a coach to, so you take a person who wins a race and then you can say, okay, well, what, what was their signature at that kind of event? So then you can, I started to be able to really see um, what changed the threshold. And, you know, I'm a big endurance person, big tempo mm -hmm. person. I, I want to put a asterisk beside that tempo word, because I do believe I find it in a, in a way that many don't. So I don't use this percentage of to find a person's tempo zone. I really measure it. Mm -hmm. um, so I do a lot of uh, aerobic steady training. Um, and when you start plunking uh, long endurance rides into exert, you magically see threshold growing. So from the endurance side of things, um, that was something that the sort of software agreed with what I was doing. If I do lots of endurance training, I'm really able to push the training load and then I can see the threshold grow. Um, I, I probably coached for 15, 16, 17 years, which is by then I've had, I had a few national champions in a few sports in different categories. And I had never done an interval other than racing. So I had a lot of success, never doing any intervals. Um, and just, just planning races at the right time to bring them to a peak. So then I thought, well, I've got this really big endurance tempo knowledge background. I'm going to go try to learn about intervals and, so I did just that and talked to a few people who um, kind of are, were the opposite of me. They really focused on sort of high intensity interval training, short duration intervals, and they would do very little endurance and have very good success. So I actually reached out and got to become pretty good friends with people that trained their athletes the opposite of me so I could learn. That tied in really well with the other part of exert, which is, you know, how, how hard is a workout for a certain person? And I think that uh, people who really know me or think they know me, uh, think I only do endurance and tempo. And that's, that's not the case. Generally speaking, when I do a hard block of training, most people couldn't even finish it. So um, the people who do finish it, it's planned well and, and works and, and they get faster. And then I have to back off that. So using exert 
I don't know. I, I, I love to plan an interval session before I have someone do it to try to figure out if, can I, can I just almost get a breakthrough in this workout? Tell them hold back right at the end. Where can I build the breakthrough? How low can I, you know, draw down their MPA before make them hold it. So when I started really doing intervals, I don't know, there's just, rather than saying, I want to do 110 to 130% of, you know, FTP, I, I could actually build a workout that I know is going to work for my individual and challenge them in the right way. Right. right. Hmm. Um, so then with that, do you build a lot of kind of intervals or kind of workouts in terms of using the workout tool just to experiment with that particular athlete and, you know, plug in their fitness signature and then see, you know, what this might be kind of for them. And is this the right workload at the right time with the right recovery? Is that how you use it? Yeah. So I, yeah, so that's one way. So in building workouts, I use the workout builder and, and, the, and the planner. So I like to plan the athletes training and exert. So I, I communicate through training peaks, right? The messaging and um, that's where I actually build what I tell them to do and where they go to see what they have to do. Um, and then we communicate back and forth about how the workouts went, but I analyze, uh, I mean, I do a lot of testing, but I analyze almost everything I'd say in exert. Uh, I just find, I do use every athlete I coach does use, um, training peaks. So they all go into WKO five that everyone uses today's plan. Everyone uses exert. So it's funny. I have their, all their data in every software. So I plan and exert on the plan, on the fitness planner for a, a broad spectrum. And then I'll build workouts in, in the builder, as I said before, just to see how they're going to go before the athlete does them. And certain workouts, we actually use the workout player to actually perform them as well. So not every workout, but I'd say anything above threshold, we would use the player probably 75% of the time. Um, a lot of times I like my athletes to do, so I like them to have that care to chase for some workouts and other workouts. I don't want them to see any data and I give them on and off durations and a verbal description, go as hard as you can and maintain pace throughout the on intervals based on what your recovery is. And they have to do it with their Garmin in their pocket. And then I want to see, can they paint the picture that I painted in exert? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's a little, it's a combination of letting them have the carrot to chase with, um, you know, with the Garmin app or whatever, uh, and then taking it away and seeing what kind of picture can they paint me with their mind and their heart and their, you know, not just their legs. Mm. So one question that I have for you, um, I think one thing I, I might be a little bit biased here, but um, well, I think one thing that separates perhaps exerts workout designer from workout designers that you can use in other softwares is, is not only intervals that are not based on percentage of FTP, but on their signature, but also the calculation of difficulty score. So before you ever give a workout to an athlete, you have a pretty good idea of how difficult it's going to be. Is that, is that a tool that, that you use as part of your coaching, um, as part of your coaching system? Yeah, hundred percent. But, you know, I didn't mention the word difficulty, but, you know, as you're building this workout and you see how close they're getting to that breakthrough, depending on the length of the workout, then the difficulty is going up. So we'll talk, I'll touch on difficulty in racing in just a few seconds. So 
I think um, the other thing I do use the workout builder for is let's say you take a race. I had, I had a, uh, about six weeks ago, a person did a gravel race and um, heading into the race, the course was identical. Conditions were identical. So heading into the race, um, the person's threshold's gone up about 35 watts in a year and HIEs come down. So I knew the race was going to be better, but I was able to show and exert, pull up that person's old file with their old signature, put their new signature in, hit refresh and say, see, that first climb's not gonna be the same as last year. So they were able to head into the race actually knowing they're probably gonna make the first climb for the first time in their life after nine years of doing the same race. And, and he did, he made the first climb and he was, um, had a much better result. Um, you know, he probably could have found that out when he got, went into the race and went up to climb in the right position and, and maybe sagged a little bit away from the pros that were in the group. But, but just being able to have that conversation three or four days before the race is like, super helpful. Um, same athlete in a road race, um, kind of keeps getting dropped when his MPA gets to a certain spot. So yet heart rate isn't really where I think it should be in difficulty. He's had much harder races. So I actually used that MPA relative to power difference to build intervals, to have what I'd call practice sessions. Let's go practice what you don't like, but let's be mm -hmm. specific. So I often will look at races where people get into trouble and then uh, start to introduce them to that without overloading them with that, but get them to just gain confidence on, Hey, like I, I can do this by myself. I should be able to do it chasing someone. And that, that works really well. So there's one yeah, other I, question. There's sorry, one other sorry, question. Scott. Yep. I was saying, I, I think that's a great use for kind of building that confidence in an, in an athlete to show them that, yes, like you are going to be fatigued, but you know, you're also, you know, right now, based on the training, you're stronger than you were before. And to model that ahead of time, rather than just look at, at it afterwards and, and, uh, to build that mental template in the in the athlete to know that you know they can stay with the pack on that first hill and uh and make that cut early on so i think that's that's a really nice use of of the modeling capacity with exert too of just being able to say okay you know again same race as before but like if i did my exact same race as last time you know like how would i look now and uh, so I, I love the fact that you brought that up and just the being able to use whether it's the planner tool or the workout to really predict ahead of time uh, how an athlete is going to respond. Sorry, Scott, go ahead. All, all good. There was uh, just one more question before we move on uh, and any further. I know Steve wants to talk about difficulty score, but I wanted to connect back to his um, have his workouts where the athlete paints the picture. Um, now, one of the features that we've also incorporated into the workout designer and into our exert work workout player is what we call mixed mode workouts, uh, where some intervals, uh, the trainer will control automatically. So erg mode, many people are familiar with that. Uh, but then other intervals, so especially high intensity intervals can be done in slope mode. Uh, is this something that you have done with your athletes or uh, 
when they're when they're doing workouts where you'd like to see them paint a picture is that something that um, that you incorporate is is having giving them that slope mode and having them set the the effort themselves yeah that's a great question you know ultimately it's it's even like erg versus versus slope right do you do you favor one or the other what is erg mode erg mode erg mode is when the the, what is erg mode what is it okay (laughs) (laughs) i guess i I guess that answers the question okay (laughs) so uh yeah so i'm uh i use erg mode for testing uh, like let's say a step test or whatever. I mm-hmm. don't even love doing that, but I do it because it, it easily allows me to compare stuff that I do with many other people. Um, yeah, I don't want to go on too much about it. I very rarely use it. Um, I, I just like, so I, I do use different trainers. So I use like a smart trainer, but in slope mode. And I would use different um even different modes within that slope, steeper pitches. If you have a tax, you can put, I can't remember the name of it, but you can have the same load around the pedal stroke. So I do like to try to take advantage of the slope mode features in, um, in a smart trainer. I always like, I always, we spend so much time. I mean, I know people are listening to this podcast from all over the place, but we all happen to be from somewhere that's really snowy and cold. So we can, you know, I'll have, I actually have athletes starting a stage race today in North Carolina. It's day one. Um, and only one of the three people got outside before they got in the start line. It's just normal. They have to Mm -hmm. live their lives, drive 13 hours, spend a couple of days getting on the trails, making sure their mountain bike works. So they go straight from the basement to a stage race in mountain biking, which actually is the most technically demanding one I'd say in the world. So um, the slope mode piece for me really allows to tackle like muscle tension and just, I don't, I just don't like her mode. Um, I do use another trainer, which is, I think like, I think it should have an exert logo on it. I don't know if anyone's heard of a rev box. Has anyone heard of rev box? Mm-hmm. I, I've heard of red box. Yes. Well, I'll just touch on it because it's like super. And so it's a fan. So it's, it's, you attach your bike to it. Uh, and so you're, it's just like a, your a rear wheel off trainer, except the resistance is a big fan. And so you can ride on it extremely easy at 50 Watts and it feels like just nothing, but because you, when you stomp on it or start like the exponential resistance in the fan is extremely realistic. So I've had like national track team athlete from Ontario do like over 2200 sprints on it at the cycling gym before. So it's, it's instant. So I've for hard workouts, um, and, and anything like, yeah, anything above threshold that's short and hard, the it's just so awesome. And the combination of doing an exert workout on a red box trainer is, Hmm. well, it's amazing. (laughs) So um, if you can't get a breakthrough, jump on a red box trainer. I guarantee you will find a way. So, <laughs> so anyways, that was a long thing to say. I really like slow mode. Carry yeah, on. So mm-hmm. that, that pretty much answers my question is uh, every coach is a little bit different, but, um, it's good to see that you found kind of a way to, to still use the exert workouts and have that, um, huh. have mm-hmm. athletes use erg or slope, whatever is uh, comfortable or whatever you're comfortable with for that. Yeah, totally. um, what I'd like to move on and uh, talk about next is um, actually kind of what you had mentioned uh, 
just a little bit ago, and that's um, how and when you decide to test your athletes. Uh, you're going to bring me back to difficulty score, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. yes. So yeah. testing. So I do, I generally speaking for the aerobic side of things, I'll use um, a Moxie monitor, lactate or a metabolic cart or all three. And that really depends on the person where they live and what we have access to. Um, so when I'm, I might go two or three months with, um, let's say without a breakthrough and exert. Um, but when I am doing that, like if I'm focusing on endurance and tempo, I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback from power, heart rate, RPE, what their muscle auction looks like during a workout. Like how is their muscle auction response during a long tempo? So I know what's happening kind of live from a workout. So every workout kind of becomes a test. However, when I go these long periods, when I do focus on this lower level stuff, I do often test their one and three minute power. So <clears throat> I'll like give them a few workouts to make sure they're signature because the signature is going to decay on them while we don't get any breakthroughs. So I'll give them a few workouts to sharpen up the signature and then I'll get them to do a short time trial. And basically what I'm trying to do is if I'm focusing on endurance and tempo, what's happening to short duration power? Because if short duration power of three minutes keeps going up and they have not done one workout above tempo, then I know I'm getting a certain response from that training. As soon as I see that three minute power sort of falter a bit, then I go over and focus on higher intensity stuff for 12 to 21 days to try to bring that back up. And then I go back over to the other side. So I have to, you know, I have to make sure the signature is accurate before or else they're going to blow through some crazy breakthrough. Um, but I always make sure I update things before I do it. You know, I even not updating, it's so much closer to other things out there that that also, I really like that. Um, anyways, I, I, yeah, be careful there, but I, I, that's how I, I use it. I'll, I'll try to make sure the signature is close enough so the breakthrough is realistic, and then I can use that at, to see what's happening at the high end. And perhaps one other question that I could ask, uh, you mentioned you've been, you've been coaching for quite a while now. Have, has using Exert changed any of the ways that you test athletes in terms of, do you do, did you used to do FTP tests? Um, and now instead you've replaced that with just having them push for shorter breakthroughs or, um, how has, how has using exert changed, uh, your testing for athletes if, if at all? Yeah, I, so from a testing perspective, like I do weird things like give a person a three or five minute time trial at the beginning of an event, a ride, and then have them do two hours of endurance and two minutes, two by 60 minutes of tempo, and then go try to get a breakthrough again. So I, mm. I, I like to use it to see how their high end performance is uh, after a ride versus before. So that's exerts really super handy for that. Um, I do use it to, um, so let's say you're just, you, let's say you're doing a step test. Most people finish a step test probably two to four minutes before they should. So if, if you see the MPAs coming really close and the person doesn't get a breakthrough in a step test and they also like, I mean, old school, I just look at their max heart rate 
they should be able to get to their max heart rate in a step test, plain and simple. So if their heart rate's seven beats away from their max and they didn't get a breakthrough, well, then I, I almost know what they should be at. But I don't just plan their training on what they didn't show me because I trust exert. I actually make them show me the breakthrough, which is in the next step. Um, so that would be the, what's the politically correct words nowadays? So, so some people are a little better at working harder than others. You have two athletes with the same five minute power, two athletes, with the same fat max Two they're just, they're nearly twins, but one likes to suffer and one doesn't. Well, I'll tell you who's going to win the race. So yeah, I, I really, it's changed testing in order to like get the athletes that aren't great at suffering to learn that it's okay, which we kind of already touched in on the race thing. Those two things, by the way, are the same. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's what I was going to, you know, mention earlier that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, you can, you can look at their MPA data and their difficulty score data, and then you can establish whether there, there's a mental block that you have to deal with. Right. Is there is there something psychological with the athlete that you have to work through to either give them the confidence that they can go harder and that they have the capacity to go harder? They may believe they can't, but you can look at the data and say, I believe they can. We just need to get them through that psychological barrier. And I've heard, you know, other coaches and other people talk about that is that What's one thing with the exert system, it doesn't just tell you what you've done. It tells you what you're capable of doing. And sometimes you may have never actually have done that before ever. And the belief that you can sometimes helps you get there. So, so that's an interesting perspective is that if you have an idea that the, the athlete is underperforming relative to what you think they should be performing, then you can encourage them. Right? encourage them, you got to do this ramp test over again. I know you have it in you to keep going. Your heart rate's not max. Your MPA hasn't come down. You're right. You, you, you got to suck it up and do this. Right. So, so that's, that's, I think one of the key features, I think, when you look at the, these newer metrics like the MPA and difficulty is that, um, you know, and a lot of times these may happen in a race. So you won't, you know, if you're looking at mean maximal power data in a race, you know, maybe the athlete was nowhere near their, their top effort and you would say, OK, well, that's just the way they raced. But with exert, you can then go back and see that their MPA never got anywhere near where it should have had, where it should have been during that race. And that's because of the variable nature of the terrain. You can then as a coach say, well, you know, you had more to give here. You know, you didn't need to go as slow here. You had greater capacity to deliver more power. You just need to believe that you can do that. And so I think that's another aspect that you can garner from reviewing athlete data is, is to give them more confidence that they have, you know, more power to offer during their races and during their training. I, yeah, you nailed a few things. Like one of, the, one of the pieces of, one of the things that I, see done a lot that I, I actually think is wrong is when athletes say we always talk about this like selection part of the race right so there's this selection part in the race and the, if you know so let's say we don't know what exert is and you keep getting dropped in this selection so there's some assumptions made on the kind of training that needs to be done to make that better um 
so then you go focus on this really hard training or something and and the, the athlete often overtrains in that situation when really they have they have enough fitness in them to make the selection they just didn't now in road sometimes mm-hmm. it's positioning it happens but at right. the end of the day let's say perfect like i've so that's a very interesting one is you've got this person in really good shape they have enough room to stay in the break or make the selection, but they don't. So then you go train them wrong because it's really the mental capacity side of training you need to focus on. And then you take them away from the fitness they had. I see that a lot. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess this is all a roundabout way to bring us back to difficulty score. Right. And, and, it is somewhat of a measure of how much an individual is willing to suffer, especially if it's a constant, constantly being at a high state of fatigue. And um, so, so can you tell us like, how do you use difficulty score? I know the three of us here, we often joke about difficulty score and how high I can, I can uh, jack it up, especially mm-hmm. when I do Ronestads and things. And, and uh, it's a running joke about how many, how high my difficulty score is. But, you know, like, how do you actually, or do you use it as a coach in terms of whether it, like what we talked about earlier, whether showing an athlete that they are capable of more than they are thinking they're able to, or kind of do you actually implement it at specific times in training? Yeah, I'd say I use difficulty um, in two ways. One is that a lot of workouts that I might build have a higher difficulty than the events they go in. And so if you've repeatedly seen 170 and then you go and something's 131 or 118 and you get dropped and we look at all the different pretty pictures, there's no reason to have gotten dropped, right? So... So that's one way is kind of comparing stuff that we do, which we know what the difficulty score is without any external motivation to an actual event. Um, And then some, I think this is a good story. So I, I, one of the people that I work with who has the most data that I work with and exert is probably going on, I don't know, would it be eight years, Armando? Like it's a long time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Could it be eight years? Well, no, you probably, you have, probably loaded some data yeah, before so I mean. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. that's what I mean. So I, mm-hmm. I like maybe exert was, what has it been? Five or six? Yeah, five, five, six years. I, I mean, right. I yeah. just have lots of data in there. So so that person has, um, you know, 50, 48 years old is when I started working with him. Now he's 61. And he's podiumed at multiple stage races in North America in mountain biking. And he's... Um, been two years off because of COVID, right? No one's done this race. Um, that's the one they're starting today. He's uh, gone through a knee surgery during COVID and he had it 15 years ago, had it redone during COVID. So that was a big, long time off, like six months. And so we kind of started over. So three, four years, three years ago when he went last, his threshold was like 332 and he's heading down and he won. And he's heading down there now with like a 278. And um, so we had this, we have a very good relationship and we had this big, long conversation about difficulty score. Now I mm-hmm. have, I have happened to do that race 
a number of times, twice while I've had Lyme disease at 220 pounds. So Armando's only seen me really do one workout, but, um, I was impressed. <laughs> so, I, I, I won't forget it. <laughs> I, I can get like 180, 210. Like I'd say, I don't want to say no problem, but I can get those scores and people like say, Oh, your signature's not right. I'm like, okay, well show me where it's wrong. It's pretty damn close. So we had a conversation. Steven, I, I think you may have met, met your match is, is, is what we're trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it should be an here. interesting ride off. Yeah, <laughs> it's all this is about I'm not whatever. So anyway, so mm -hmm. so we, he knows that he, like so here I am. I'm at the same race. He's winning. Right. He comes he comes gets I get back to the parking lot. Oddly enough, only about 20, 25 minutes later. And he's always shocked how close I am. So I'm a middle of the pack guy, but I am overweight. I've got Lyme disease and I'm just plugging away. And he is in the parking lot, like making me a sandwich. He's already clean. And he's running around. He's got all this energy. Now he remember he's winning. Right. So I'm like, he's like, Oh, but I worked as hard as I could. I'm like, no, trust me, man. I'm going to go home and have a four hour nap, eat 80 pancakes and try to wake up and do this tomorrow. So mm -hmm. he's heading there in a different place. But what did we do? We took the, the stage race. The result, the, the course is the same. The weather's the same. And we looked at the race with his lower threshold and guess what? There isn't even a breakthrough all week. He's got tons of room to race just as fast with a lower signature. And I was able to show him that. And then he's like, fine coach, I guess I got to go suffer now. Right. So, <laughs> well, it'll be very interesting to see how it goes. I have a feeling I know how it's going to go, but mm -hmm. difficulty score is like, um, I think, yeah, I, I know you said it, Armando. I know you said suck it up. I tr I don't like if I'm maybe dealing with a lacrosse player or somebody, I might use those words, but in right. second, I try to be a little bit more kind. Right. Um, but it's a neat way to, to just like show them other examples and say, right. This is possible and let's go. So. Mm -hmm. Um, now, there's one other question that I had regarding difficulty score, and uh, I think what's what can happen very easily when people are creating workouts is it's very, very easy to create a very difficult workout. I know that you mentioned earlier that most of the workouts you do tend to be more, uh, more tempo with an asterisk, uh, but mm -hmm. have you ever used difficulty score to help make it a tough workout easier or more achievable for perhaps some of your newer or more amateur athletes? I mean, I just try to make them proper or what I think is proper for the time. So easier and harder are like, I don't know, maybe not words I might use. It's like, it doesn't really, I mean, the nice thing is with the beginner, you can take that person's signature and make the correct workout. So if you're going to give them a hard workout, at least try to make it correct, right? So, you know, someone gets, if they're doing, I don't ever, I don't two sets of six by two minutes on and one minute off or just something. And they get a breakthrough in the third interval in the, cause you build the workout wrong or you use 30% above their FTP, but their FTP is wrong. So now the workout's 70% about like, it could go, you could go on for days about that. Right. So mm -hmm. you build a workout that way and they get a breakthrough and exert on the third interval and they quit the workout. Like no wonder. Right. So beginner or elite, it doesn't matter. You, you can use the software to build an appropriate workout. And I'd say a relevant of your coaching philosophy. 
that's the neat thing. Like, yeah, we could talk about days about what kind of training you want to do above threshold, but whatever your opinion is, at least you can make it achievable for the person, right? Yeah. So uh, I kind of wanted to continue along. We talked about using difficulty score and, and how you use that with your athletes to, to help motivate them before activities. Uh, but I wanted to ask if there's any other ways or maybe exert specific ways that you help review your athlete's performance. So is looking at focus duration, is that something that you do with your athletes is, uh, and helping plan their workouts or um, so, yeah. How do you help review your athlete's data after an event? Yeah, I think so. Focus is something that I'll be honest. I sort of just, I use it a certain way and I don't even know if it's right or wrong. So I'll just say how I use it. So when, so you have numerous athletes kind of doing the same event and you roughly know their differences in performance and there's a certain, so then, but then you have somebody win the event or win it more than once. So now you're pretty certain what's the focus duration of the event, right? So even though it's a stage race and it's, you know, um, a lot of the long 40 minute climbs might be below, below threshold. Um, there's still going to be single track pieces where the athletes has to push over logs and steep pitches and rock gardens, and they're going to draw their MPA down and it's going to change the focus duration. So the way I really looked at it was looking at years of the race, looking at somebody who's capable of winning it. And then what was the focus duration and then saying, okay, well, if I do a consult with somebody, I'll often see like an endurance athlete doing long gravel races or a mountain bike stage race, like the ones my athletes go in and they've got a really long focus duration. I'm like, mm, I think you need to switch things up a bit because the focus duration needs to be around five and a half to six and a half minutes. So I will say, I don't like, I don't use it like live and try to get a focus duration in a workout per se. Um, I've used it more at looking, looking at what the event is and then um, building workouts that take them to that place. So if I'm six weeks out, a person might be like 12, 18 minute focus duration, but within the last week before the race, they're going to be pretty bang on six. Mm. Um, I don't know if that helps or like, I mean, that's, that's how I use it. I, Maybe I'm just building the right, well, I mean, if they're winning, maybe I'm building the right workout to bring them to the right kind of peak to win the workout, right? So, um, so but that's how I use focus duration. I, I do find it useful. Yeah, yeah you know, I, one, one of the things, sorry, Scott, one of the things that I recall you and I talking about and you showing me is along those lines is how the, um, like you're planning out the progression and the in increase in training that the athletes are going, going to have to go through. So you're very specific about here's where you are in your training and here is how we're going to grow your training up until the event. And I thought that was, you know, in very much in line with kind of what we were trying to achieve with the concept of improvement rate and kind of managing that kind of ramp rate process but that's something that you you actively do with your athletes, right? If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I I had a conversation with a, with another with a well pretty good triathlon coach yesterday. He coaches two Ironman World Champions, 
and we got chat, chatting about stuff and and um it's like i already like i know what i'm going to do but i know where it's going to bring them so i like i yeah so but the software really helps me understand that i'm not crazy right like if i look <laughs> at if if i do a consult and i see someone with like two and a half stars and like breakthroughs all the time i i mm -hmm. already but you look at my athletes and there'll be like spotty breakthroughs and five stars. <laughs> so it's kind of like, this is where we've got to get to. And um, getting there is just the, you know, the secret and you can get to five stars in 14 hours a week if you do it right. So, right. Yeah. Actually, I, I wanted to kind of follow back on my question, Steve, you actually almost perfectly answered my question. Um, I had, I had asked how you use perhaps focus and you mentioned you didn't know if you were using it exactly correctly, but then you, you mentioned that how you're actually applying focus is, is how we've intended the adaptive training advisor to work. So where is, uh, and, and to summarize it quickly, the adaptive training advisor is looking, where is this athlete right now in terms of their overall focus progression and what athlete type have they selected or what are they training for? And then how can, how can we provide workouts or recommend workouts that are going to help you achieve uh, a focus that you've selected for a particular event? And so in, in a lot of ways, um, kind of what you're doing is, is how we've designed the system also to work. So uh, it, essentially, it was, a, it was an excellent answer. Great. That's good. So then, Steve, you um, you know, you've started us with talking about the different types of athletes you've coached, from mountain biking, mountain bike stage racing to cyclocross. And so then, do you have a difference in philosophy in terms of how you how you coach them? Do you, for example, let's just start off with the simplest stuff. It's you know, let's say somebody's doing a a single day cross-country mountain bike race do you approach that differently than let's say what they're doing now is in, in a mountain bike stage race and then can you then talk about you know how you might train a train a is there a different philosophy and kind of progression that you would take with a cyclocross athlete actually you know steve maybe if you could you know let's say for example, we have um, this kind of off-world race. It's going to be roughly 100K. You know, we'll be on kind of cross um, <laughs> you know, gravel bikes. You know, I don't know. If you can maybe offer a little bit of guidance of what you would kind of offer you know, in terms of the training for this kind of event. Um, well, sure. I mean, I, the, so, I mean, those are two questions that are a bit different, but I'm going to hit Steven first and then we'll get to yours. Okay. Um, so, okay. So there, the, the training preparation for mountain biking, whether it's a one day, 90 minutes or a stage race or a cyclocross race, the training that I do to prepare them is like, there is no difference. The person who can win the stage race can go win the cyclocross nationals. What is different is the technical aspect of the cyclocross person. I mean, it's funny, most mountain bikers really focus on technique and technical train and 
and it's part of what they it's probably why they started mountain biking because they like going downhill and they like the technical stuff so it's a big part of what they do cyclocross i honestly find that um and you can see how many mountain bikers do well at cyclocross and like i really think that a lot of people, especially master cyclocross athletes, spend so much time getting fit for what they think cyclocross is, but they can't ride their friggin' bike around a corner in the mud. So they've got all this fitness that they can't use, and then they go train harder for cyclocross, but they don't get any better. So I might go a little sideways on this, so I apologize. So bring me back in a second. So I do something with mountain bike and cyclocross athletes where I give them a physiological test, which could be something built in exert or, you know, whatever, but I also have them do a time trial off-road. So if you've got a 20 minute time trial off-road and a, and a, some kind of physiological measurement and the person gets 20% better physiologically and their off-road time trial is exactly the same, then where should you spend your time? So this is, I'm sorry, this is nothing to do with exert, but it does have a lot to do with coaching. So if mm -hmm. someone's getting better and better and better in the software and not better in racing, they have to analyze which part of the racing or piece of the pie is missing, right? So, um, so the, the training for the physiological side of those three events, in my opinion, in, in non-world like non tour pro, like I mean, top elite North Americans, or top masters, it's the same. Um, the, the, the threshold, like you don't need a higher HIE to do a cyclocross race than you do to win a mountain bike stage race. Um, I, anyways, you, you do have to race differently based on your signature, right? So that's something else that can be applied. If, um, if you have a really high HIE, you probably get a really good start, but that doesn't mean you should. Um, so sometimes looking at your signature, analyzing how your races are going, maybe you need to race differently, even though your signature says one thing. So, um, key to a, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I Just don't know. Learn I, to suffer. I mm -hmm. do tons. I, so I do a lot of progressive training. So what I mean by that is a person might do an hour of endurance and they might do an hour with some eight second sprints every 10 minutes. Then they might do two by 40 minutes of tempo. And then they might do a 30 minute time trial. That's a fairly typical session I might give someone. And that's very, very, very good for PDA because, right. you know, PDA is about, I was no superstar. I don't even know if I was 11th or 17th, but I, uh, I probably did it when it snowed when Steven did it, but I have had people mm -hmm. win it and I've had people do pretty well. The, yeah, so the training has to, you have to be able to handle a steady load and sometimes going above threshold too much is going to be a problem. I need mm -hmm. to mute my mic because I think, how do I mute my mic? I have to sneeze. I got to get ready. I'm going to sneeze at the mic on you watch. Anyways, um, <laughs> if I sneeze, I'm sorry. Um, so P days about like, sometimes having to work harder to get into the right group because it's better to be in that group than right. it is to be on your own. Mm -hmm. So, so there you have to like, there's a great spot to use your little, you know, Garmin window and push yourself a little bit to draw the MPA down to try to get on that group without, without getting a breakthrough, you know? And, uh, 
So, but that's an important piece of the puzzle. As far as training for it, yeah, like do some work once you're tired, uh, I would say, if, if you're right. looking for something simple. Because most of us regular people are not making a selection. Like, let's face it, we are not making a selection. We are trying to stay in something 400 kilometers at a pretty equal pace and, and you know, not get dropped from that group or blow up or, or whatever. As long as you beat your, uh, as long as you beat your usual riding buddies, then all is oh, well with the world. That's exactly, that's who we're that's talking That's all that counts, that's right. So anyways, um, you know, you talked about cramping and I won't go on about it, but most, in my opinion, a lot of cramping is from lack of sports specific training. So we've got probably mm -hmm. an expert on cramping on here, but that's another thing is, you know, using, using the software to make sure you are doing something that is similar to the race. Like go look at your old files. What is, what is P2A? And then try to, um, try to figure out how to, to, to bring that into the training somehow. Yeah. We, we've along those lines, we do have some sessions and, and workouts and, and things like that and, and, and P2A video. So, um, you know, we're sponsoring the event this year and that's cool. Um, yeah. So if, you know, if you're, if you're listening and you're, and you're looking at doing the race, um, you know, do, do check out our sessions. We've got uh, the P2A session. I think we're, we have them running every Sunday. Now we'll probably have a kind of a lead, a lead up uh, session into the uh, uh, before the race. And um, yeah, certainly recommend them, you know, along the lines of what Steve was saying, you know, it's going to give you a similar sense of what it feels like just in terms of the intensities. It's hard. It's a hard workout and hard to kind of meet the targets that are in the workout for the entire duration. So, uh, you know, we try to kind of mimic the race as much as, as much as we know in terms of our own experiences with it. And so, uh, yeah, certainly uh, try that out uh, and see how well you can do on that workout. Now, uh, I did have one more uh, kind of question that I wanted to, or one more area that I wanted to ask Steve, um, and, and th once again, thanks for your time on this, but I did have one more question that I wanted to ask, and that's, um, it pertains to helping your athletes taper for particular events. Um, is, uh, is training status or using the fitness planner from exert something that you use as part of uh, your athlete's preparation for a particular event? Um, yeah, I, I must say they're not usually like in the red much. So I, I do use it because the tricky thing about mountain biking is, you know, you get down to the race early and they have to ride off road and, and just to go uphill, you're going to go, you know, you're going to draw your MPA down. So the, the difficulty goes up as soon as they get off road and, and that's so sometimes a week before the race, just to ride for two or three or four hours, they, they do go red before. And so I do use that in the two or three days leading up as far as tapering goes. Like, I don't know. I find a lot of people taper too much. Um, so some people that have, you know, less training load or, you know, less stars, let's say they're, they might be better off to train. Like as long as they're not in a tired state with their stars, they're better to train almost right up to the event, to be honest. Um, and just make sure, you know, a few days of rest is fine. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think once a person has a certain amount of training load that is kind of right for their life, 
it's pretty easy to keep them there. Mm -hmm. I don't awesome. think I answered that one. I'm sorry. It's uh, no, no. I, I, I think I, you did. Um, yeah, but I think you know, there's some elements there that you're describing that I think kind of are in line with kind of how things kind of work, right? Because um, you know, if, whether you're two stars or four stars, you know, if it's if you've been at two stars or four stars for a while, then your body's already, you know, used to that kind of load, right? You don't need the week long taper because you're doing the same thing every day. You know, you've already reached that kind of high level of training load. So you may not necessarily need a long taper. Whereas, you know, if you're at two stars, but you've been cramming it, right? So you're, you're, you're still ramping up, right? So you've, you're hitting, you know, seven, you're at extreme two ramp rate. You've been doing that for the last four weeks. And, you know, you're, 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 you're red and yellow status for most days. You're going to have to let up, probably going to need a little bit more time for systems to kind of get back to normal compared to had you been at you know, three stars or two stars and had been doing it for a long time. So those are very different scenarios. Agreed. Yep. Awesome. Uh, well, I think we're, we're getting pretty close to our time limit here. So I did want to say uh, thank you very much uh, for your time today, Steve, and, and thanks for joining us and, and sharing your insights behind um, how you use Exert and, and some of your personal coaching philosophies uh, with, the, with your athletes. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I love it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve, for that, you know, your perspectives and, you know, certainly appreciate, um, you know, the relationship we've had for, you know, for now five, six years and, you know, all of the input and uh, all the advice that you've been offering. So very much want to thank you for that. No problem. Thank you. Conversations are always fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Hopefully you've learned something, uh, whether you're a coach or whether you're not, uh, hopefully you took something away from this podcast. Um, thank you, Stephen, for joining us today. And uh, thanks Armando. It's good to have a, another podcast out and uh, best of luck to both of you as you continue prepping for a P-Day. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you.